So today we're continuing a series of messages called 10 Words That Will Change Your Life. And if you've been here, you've heard some of these messages. If not, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. But Joseph has already covered some words like yes and no and wait and risk. And when he asked me uh, back in the summer if I would fill in for him on this Sunday, he told me the, the series we were going to be doing. And, and uh, I started thinking about, wow, words that change your life. And I started thinking about words like fired. You know, that'll, that'll change your life, won't it? Some, some of us have experienced that. Or, or hired, that'll change your life. Or, or what about pregnant? That, that's a word that'll super duper change your life. Uh, how about mega millions? Somebody's life in the upstate was recently really changed. Uh, by the word mega millions, and by the way, if you're listening to this, whoever you are, I will gladly send you my contact info, uh, even though you don't want us to know your contact info. I, I will reach out, uh, you can reach out to me anytime if you're the mega millions guy. So, so there are those words that, that will change your life. Today, uh, based on the music that played when we came up and all that, uh, you can probably guess, you might want to guess what today's word is. I, I think it's already been on the screen. What is it? Whew. Man. All right, we're going to try this again, all right? <laughs> This is literally what I heard. Thanks. All right, what's today's word? Nice. Awesome. All right, good. I just want to know you're awake. I don't need you to give me energy. I just want to know you're awake, all right? You had an extra hour of sleep. I do not know what the deal is here. So, uh, so today we're going to talk about thanks. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing about the word thanks. When we think about thanks and thankfulness, it, we think yeah, that's a pretty easy concept because it's something we've heard about from the time we were tiny, right? If you were raised in the South like I was, you were raised saying words like yes, sir, no, sir, please, and thank you. So we were taught to say thank you. We were taught to say thanks. And, and it's one of those things that you, you try to instill in your kids, and, and, and so it's, it's an important part of our lives. And, and we think about it for us that it's, it's something that, that is kind of simple to understand. In fact, there's a holiday at the end of this month that's completely dedicated to this idea of being thankful. It's not just a precursor to going and spending a bunch of money the next day. It really is about thankfulness on that Thursday. And so, so we've got this idea uh, in our heads, and, 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 and we know that this is a familiar concept. But, but as I thought about this, I've been thinking about this for several weeks when, when Joseph asked me to teach, and I've been thinking about thankfulness and, and my own life, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When I think about me and the way I've kind of done thankfulness and responded to thankfulness over the years, I, I, don't do, I haven't done really great at this. I'm not like an all-star in the area of being thankful. Um, in, in fact, you know, uh, I, I, I don't do good at thanking people. I have expectations for folks, and when they live up to those expectations, I think, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Why, why am I going to thank you for that? I, I actually had to apologize to staff members before because it's like, hey, you did a great job. I should have said thank you, but instead I just treated them like that's what we pay you to do. Let's on, on to the next thing. Why do I have to thank you? And so I have to, I've, I've not done great at this. I'm terrible at sending thank you notes, which is really weird because I'm married to, like, the World Series champion of thank you note writing. And, uh, I mean, she could teach a class in it. She's so good at it. And, and so maybe, uh, I don't know what it is. I, I, I even am uncomfortable when people thank me for things. It's, I just, I don't want to, it just is a weird, it's a weird thing. And so, so I don't do good in this area of thankfulness when I really evaluate myself on it. And, and maybe you're the same way if you think about it, if you were to be honest and think about your life. Maybe, maybe you struggle somewhat in, in being thankful on a day-to-day -day basis and, and, and expressing thankfulness to the people around you and, and for what you have. 
In fact, there was an article um, written in the New York Times this past July that a study was done. By the way, I don't know who's doing these studies, that someone got money to do the study I'm about to tell you about. They are robbing people that, that they got a study for this. But anyway, someone did a study that, 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 that tested how many people like to get thank you notes and how many people send thank you notes. Guess what? Everybody loves to get thank you notes. The overwhelming majority said, yes, getting thank you notes is great. You know how many of those people sent thank you notes? Almost none of them. And so all of us, I think, struggle with we expect a lot of thankfulness. We don't like to give a lot of thankfulness. There's something inside us that has, has kind of gotten in the way. And so one of the things that I think is true for us all, I know it's true for me, is this, that being ungrateful is more natural for us than being thankful. Being ungrateful is more natural for us than being thankful. It's been about a year or so, I guess. Uh, I was I was looking at Facebook. I don't know if y'all know what Facebook is. It's this thing that's out there. Um, you really should not check it out if you're not on it. But um, but there was there was a person on Facebook who who Facebook tells me we're friends. Uh, I I don't know if I really even know this person, but according to Facebook, we're really close. And uh, and this person was going on a trip. And, and I'm not talking just like a regular trip. Um, you know, I, every year we go to the beach, which is awesome. This past year we went to Disney World, which was great. Those are great trips. This, this was not a beach trip or even a Disney World trip. This was a trip where this person was going to get on a plane and fly over water, and they have to have a passport to get there. Super, like, once-in-a-lifetime trip. And so <clears throat> she's putting updates all the time. Hey, here's where we're going, and look, we're going to be here, and this is going to be so much fun, can't wait to do this, and you know, all that stuff that people put on there, and then none of us like them for when they do it because we're like, we don't get to do that, and then it makes us jealous of them and all that kind of stuff. So that's what she's doing, just updating Facebook about this trip that's coming up. And then it was just shortly before the trip was supposed to happen, she begins to complain. Wow, just check the weather again, and I've got to repack my suitcase. What a bummer. This is going to be so hard to do now, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, good night. You're going on a trip that I'll probably never get to go on, most of us, and you're going to complain because you've got to throw a couple extra sweaters in your bag. But that, to me, is kind of a microcosm of, of the way we deal with this idea of thankfulness. There are sometimes there are things that we should be immensely thankful for and grateful for, and somehow for us, it becomes so much easier for us to be ungrateful instead of thankful. I want to I uh, deal with a story today from the life of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got an app, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. But if you've got one, look at Luke chapter 17. I'm going to be in Luke 17, 11 through 19. And we're going to look at this story from the life of Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be thankful, what we should be thankful for. Luke 17, 11 through 19. So it says this, verse 11, while traveling to Jerusalem, he, meaning Jesus, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. Now let me ask you a question real quick. Does anybody happen to know, and you can answer out loud, it's okay, and try to do it a little bit louder than, thanks. Uh, does anybody know why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Anybody got any idea why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? The cross. Dwayne was here in the first service, <clears throat> but I know he knows the answer, even if he wasn't here in the first service. Uh, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but ultimately the reason he's going to Jerusalem is because he's going to be crucified, and he knows this. It's not, 
What happened to Jesus in Jerusalem was not a surprise to him. In fact, he had predicted it multiple times. He would say to his followers things like, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners, and he will be crucified, and on the third day he will rise again. I mean, he like laid it out. And the disciples would say, no, that's not going to happen. And they didn't believe it, and they were shocked when it happened. Right? So that's why he's going to Jerusalem. So he's got an important reason he's heading there. But in the meantime, it says while he's on the way there, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. Now here's what you need to know about Samaria and Galilee. These are two regions of the area that were separate, and they wanted to be separate. They were separate regions geographically, and they were also separate regions racially, and they were separate regions religiously. So the, the, the people in these two areas, they worshipped differently, they were different races, and they did not believe that each other should have anything to do with one another, and, and it was very hostile between the residents of Samaria and the residents of Galilee. And so as Jesus is passing through there, which I think, I don't know, I, don't, I, I can't get completely into the mind of Jesus to understand this, but I think it was intentional that he went close enough to both areas so he could have influence in both areas. And while he's passing through there, it says this happened. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, here's what you need to understand about that it says they had leprosy. This was a big deal. Now, most of you probably know leprosy is a disease, all right? It's a very contagious disease. And in that time, there was no cure for this contagious disease. So that's bad. you got ten guys who have a disease that they cannot be cured from. It's a painful disease. Uh, that's bad enough. But here's why it's worse than just having the disease. Because of these guys had leprosy, they were, because of the religious laws of the day, they were not allowed to have anything to do with people who did not have leprosy. They were outcasts. If you want to understand all about that this afternoon, go to the Old Testament, read Leviticus 13. Be sure you've drank two or three cups of coffee before you start Leviticus 13 or you'll fall asleep right halfway in the middle of it. Because it's just these detailed rules about what to do because of these skin diseases. And leprosy was one of these skin diseases. And so because of the, this, these guys were, were not allowed to live inside the city. So that's why they were on the outskirts of this village. They were not allowed to go to the temple. They were not allowed to approach a rabbi and, and get spiritual teaching. So that's why it says that they raised their voices, or as we would say here in the South, they hollered at Jesus. And they're hollering at Jesus to get his attention as he's walking by. And so that, that's what's going on here. And, and all this is happening because they have leprosy. They have been declared unclean, ceremonially unclean. And they are no longer able to be a part of society. So what we've got is we've got ten outcasts from society with no hope of being accepted unless Jesus performs a miracle. No hope unless Jesus takes action. And so it says that they hollered at Jesus, have mercy on us. And in verse 14, it says, this is what Jesus did. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. That's kind of a weird thing to say. I'm sure they were hoping he would say, you're healed. Or I'm sure they were hoping he would say, come over here and I'm going to touch you and you're going to be healed. But instead, he didn't approach them. He didn't call them over. He just said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, here's why that's weird. 
they were not allowed to go see the priests because they had leprosy. They knew that. And so I don't know if there was any confusion or, or discussion among them, but here, here to their credit, look what happened. It says, go show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, so they decided they were going to take steps. So these guys took some steps of faith. They, they chose to believe that the words of Jesus were true and said, okay, even though we can't go to the priest, Jesus has told us to go. We trust him. We're going to take a step and we're going to do it. And it says, and while they were going, they were cleansed. Now, I don't understand how all of this works. And anybody that tells you they understand how all this works is being way too confident. But here, here's what we see. is the, the words of Jesus combined with the obedience of these guys. In the end of it, there was healing. Jesus chose to heal them. And so what happened was you had guys who had no hope that all of a sudden they take a few steps because Jesus tells them to, and what was now painful was now comfort. And, and what they had been suffering with was now gone. Now I want to take a time out here just for a second and kind of summarize what we've seen because I don't want you to miss any of this. So you've got ten guys no fault of their own they have this disease. It's not like, they, it's not like their parents said, hey, don't ever do this or you'll get leprosy. They, they just got leprosy because it was super contagious. And so they've got this disease. Now what makes this even worse is this disease has no cure. There was no antibiotics. There was no laser treatment. There was no robotic surgery. There was nothing that could take care of leprosy. Once you had it, you were going to have it. And then on top of all of that, it's not just a painful disease. Because of this disease, they had to be separated from society. So they could not live at their house anymore. They could not sleep indoors. They could not see their children and hug their children. Ten guys, I don't know how many of them uh, were married with families, maybe all of them, maybe half of them, but I'm sure some of them had wives couldn't touch their wives, couldn't see their, couldn't talk to their wives anymore. Some of them had children, couldn't have a relationship with their children. Some of them probably had grandchildren, couldn't have a relationship with their grandchildren, couldn't sit at the table and eat with their family just because they had this disease, which was no fault of their own that they had it. They couldn't go to work. Whatever they used to do to earn money, they could no longer do that. They were not allowed. So here's what that means. Now they have to beg. If they're going to eat, They've got to beg and they've got to hope that someone has enough mercy on them to say, I'm going to give you some food, even though just by me giving you this food, there's going to be a chance that I will become ceremonially unclean and I will get leprosy, but I'm still going to give it to you. That's what they had to hope for. They couldn't go to the market and buy anything. They couldn't go to Walmart and Target and, and, and Ingalls and get what they needed. And, and then, on top of everything else, probably the thing that that just tops this off the worst, the icing on this terrible cake, is the one place that you should be able to go when you're struggling, when you need encouragement, when you need someone to care for you, is the church. And they were not allowed to go there either. They were not allowed to go to the temple because they were ceremonially unclean. Now I want you to imagine that that's you. I know that's hard. It's hard to imagine. But I want you to imagine that you wake up in the morning, Monday morning, and you're covered with sores. And you have a disease that now you know I've got to move out of my house. 
And not only do I have to move out of my house, I got to go somewhere else and live somewhere that nobody wants to live and be far off and separated from society. I got to go to somewhere like Pickens and live over in Pickens, right? And so you're going to be over there now. You don't get to be in Greer and Taylor's and you got to go to Pickens where, where the people over there live. And, and, and you're separated from the people that love you. And, and, you, and you call up Joseph and you say, Joseph, I've got this disease. And he says, well, I'm sorry, you can't come back to Freedom Fellowship anymore because people like you aren't allowed in here because you might make the rest of us unclean. Imagine that that happened to you. Imagine that you couldn't hug your kids. You couldn't have a relationship with your husband or your wife. You couldn't sit down and have dinner with someone that you're friends with. So what is, if that was you, and then all of a sudden, Jesus enters your life and you're healed, like happened for these 10 guys, what's the first thing you would do? Now, don't answer that yet. But just think about it in your mind. Put a pen in that thought. What is the first thing you would do if that was you? You're, you're the outskirts. You're living in Pickens. You're separated from society. You're not allowed to be at church anymore. You're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to be with your family. And through the action of Jesus, everything has changed. What's the first thing you would do? Let's see what these guys did. Verse 15. But one of them, now how many of these guys were there? Say it out loud. Ten. Dies, right? One of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? I don't know what the other nine guys did, but when we hear the story, I asked you to think about what you would do. Now, let's be honest. When I asked you to think about what you would do, Chances are you had some ideas in your mind, but then when I read what these guys did, it might have changed and you started thinking, well, man, I'd be the one. I'd be the one guy that came back and was thankful. I wouldn't be the other nine. What do you think I am, Cliff, some kind of idiot? I would go back and I would thank Jesus face to face. But here's the deal, 90% didn't. The chances are good we'd be in the 90% because you know what I think these nine guys probably did? I think some of them went home. Isn't that what you might have done first? You'd been separated from your family all this time. You had not gotten to see them, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm clean. I can go walk in my house. I can hug my wife. I can hug my husband. I can see my kids. I can go see my grandkids. I have been waiting to do this for months, days, years, decades even. That's where I'm going as I'm going home. When I was working on this message, I was sitting in a coffee shop here in Greer, and a guy comes in and sits down, and he's got a T-shirt on, and the back of this T-shirt is facing me. And I'm literally working on this message, and I see this T-shirt, and this is what the T-shirt had on the back right here. Five things you don't mess with. Family, faith, friends, flag, firearms. I wanted to add fried chicken to that list just to keep with the theme of F that's going through there. And, and I don't know, listen, I don't know who this guy was, and, and I don't know if he declared this to be the order of the things in his life that are important. But I think it's interesting that family comes before faith. Because for a lot of us, it does. A lot of us, we live that way where it's like, okay, my family comes first. Then, whatever Jesus wants me to do, 
that comes second. And really, if we're honest, flag for a lot of people goes up above faith too. It's like, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm an American first, right? That kind of an idea. And maybe even firearms goes up there. You know, who knows? But, but whatever the, the idea is, the, the order there, I think sometimes we get things out of order. And that's what you see in the lives of these guys, maybe, that they had been completely transformed by the work of Jesus. And nine out of ten of them did not display thankfulness. See, the thing I want you to know today, above everything else that you hear today, is this, that true thankfulness is a response to the work of Jesus. True thankfulness is a response to the work of Jesus. Now, I told you earlier that I struggle with the fact that I'm naturally ungrateful. I said that maybe you do too, and I think probably you do. I think all of us struggle with the fact that what's natural for us is to be ungrateful, not to be thankful. And one of the things I know about myself is that I can't just decide that I'm going to be a thankful person. I can't wake up one morning and think, you know what I'm going to do from now on? Cliff Marshall is thankful, and I'm going to always be thankful, and I'm going to tell people I'm thankful, and I'm going to display thankfulness in my life, and it's going to rule my decision-making. But Why? Because I decided I wanted to. I don't have enough power within me to make that happen. The reason why I don't is because stuff changes. And the morning I decide I'm going to be thankful probably something terrible is going to happen in my life and I'm going to be challenged of whether I can truly be thankful or not. See, the only chance that I have or that you have for us to live lives of thankfulness is we have to be responding to the miracle that Jesus has done in our lives. See, what we have with these 10 guys is we have 10 guys who went from being disease-ridden guys to healed, who went from being outcasts to members of the family. And that's the exact same thing Jesus has made available to us. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in the book of Ephesians when he wrote this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. These ten guys, they had no hope and they were excluded because of a disease. And what we read in the book of Ephesians is, is that we have no hope and we are outcasts because of a disease called sin that all of us have. We know we have it. We try, to, we try to justify it and we try to say, but you know, my sin's not that bad. and I'm not that different from the guy that I work with. In fact, I'm better than my next door neighbor. And we hope in the end God's going to grade on some type of a curve and let all the people who tried hard be forgiven of their sin. But we know that our sin has separated us from the family of God. It has made us outcasts. We live outside the walls of the city. We're not a part of the family. 
And so just like these ten guys, the only hope that they had was is that Jesus had to come in and perform a miracle. Jesus had to take action. In verse 13, Paul writes this, Even though we're outcasts, we're without hope, without God in the world. And it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was the action of Jesus. It was the decision he made to go to the cross. It's not something that he was forced to do. It was a choice that he made that he was going to willingly sacrifice himself. He was going to take the sin that was your sin and he was going to put it on him. He was going to take the punishment that you deserved and he was going to take that punishment on him. And because of his action on the cross, it says that we now can go from diseased to healed, from outcasts to family members, just like the ten guys that had leprosy. Verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That's where our thankfulness has to flow out of. Every day, if I'm going to be thankful, it has to flow out of the reality that without Jesus, I'm an outcast. But because of Jesus, now I can be a family member. Without Jesus, I'm a disease-riddled human being, riddled with the disease of sin. But because of Jesus, I can now be healed and cleansed of that sin. That's where that has to come from. See, for me personally, I know how aware I am of my salvation by how thankful I am living day to day. Because the truth is this, if our thankfulness is based on the saving work of Jesus, it is refreshed every day. If our thankfulness is based on the saving work of Jesus, it's refreshed every day. I don't know if you know this or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus and you know that he's cleansed you of sin, if that's who you are, did you know that every day your salvation is still at work, that every day what happened on the cross is still at work. See, what happened on the cross is a fixed point in history. There was a time when it happened. There had not been Jesus crucified on the cross. One day it happened, and ever since then, it happened in history. We can point back to a, a, a date and a time to say that's when it took place. But even though it happened in history, it doesn't remain in the past that the work of that continues to go on day after day. And for so many years, you know the way I live my life, and maybe you've lived your life like this too. For so many years, I lived my life thinking, when I'm thinking about the cross, when I'm remembering to read my Bible, when I'm singing songs of praise, when I'm doing all that, then that is what is making me more like Jesus, that somehow Jesus is using that, and that's what's making me more like Jesus. But here's the reality is that the, the action of Jesus on the cross in your life as a follower of Jesus is constantly at work in you, whether you're aware of it or not. That last night while you were sleeping, you were being more made into the likeness of Jesus than you were before you went to sleep, if you're his follower. There's a fancy word for that that they teach you in school called sanctification. But all that means is, is that the work of the cross is ongoing, that you're still being changed to be more like Jesus. And that's where our thankfulness has to come from. See, but, but what happens to me and probably what happens to you is, is that too often I don't focus on the cross when I'm thinking about my thankfulness. I, I focus on my circumstances. And true thankfulness is not based on circumstances. True thankfulness is not based on circumstances. 
for the, probably the most convicting part of this story as I read it, the thing that gets to me the most when I read it, is that the circumstances of these ten guys was exactly the same. All of them experienced the exact same thing. The, the one who came back and thanked Jesus, he wasn't healed like in a special way so that all of a sudden he realized, wow, I need to go thank Jesus because my healing was better than the other nine guys. It was all exactly the same. And even though they all experienced the same thing, 90% of them somehow lost sight of what they needed to do. They lost sight of how grateful they needed to be to Jesus. And I think all of us can be guilty of basing our thankfulness on what has or has not happened in our lives. That we base our thankfulness on, well, this thing happened last week and now I'm super thankful. Or, this thing happened to me last week and it was terrible so now I'm not grateful. And that's the way we live our lives. We base our thankfulness on our circumstances and not the cross. The Apostle Paul wrote this in, in 1 Thessalonians. He said this, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The important part of that phrase is in Christ Jesus. That we can be thankful for the terrible stuff. And some of you and me, we've gone through terrible stuff. And it says we can be thankful for that. I was thinking about this last week, about our thankfulness being based on our circumstances and not the work of Jesus. I went to a funeral last Sunday afternoon. A lady who had um, lived across the street from me growing up in Columbia and lived there. We moved there when I was tiny, and my parents moved there in 1973, and they were there and got to be real good friends with her youngest son. We were, we were good buddies growing up, and uh, she taught me piano lessons. I can't play the piano. It's not her fault. She's a great teacher. Uh, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And, um, but I married someone who can play better than I never would have been able to play anyway, so that all worked out. So she, uh, she passed away, and uh, she was 91 years old. And she uh, actually had come to move to Greer about seven years ago because her daughter lives here in Greer. So this lady that I grew up across the street from actually came to Greer, and I got to see her a good bit then. And, and uh, she had been neighbors with my parents from 1973 until seven years ago, so they were real close. And so she passed away, and so we went to the funeral last week at, at First Prez in Greer. And after the funeral, we're, we're there going through the line, talking to the family, and I got to see my buddy that I hadn't seen in years, which was, which was cool. But as we're talking to them, talking to all the family members, they were all so thankful, and they would, they would say, we're just so thankful that we got to have her as long as we did. Now, they were sad. Obviously, they were sad. But they realized 91 years was a blessing, and they were thankful for that. And they said that over and over again. And it reminded me of a funeral I went to a few years ago where the situation was almost exactly the same. A woman had lived into her early 90s. She had died, uh, I, I want to say unexpectedly, but I mean, you live in your early 90s. It's like, well, it's, it's coming one day. But, but she had not been sick, right? She never went to the hospital. And, uh, and, and went to the funeral for that lady. And as I'm going through the line, I actually said to one of her children, one of her adult children, I said, I know you must be so thankful that you got to, to have her as long as you did. And this is what that adult child said. 
You know, everybody keeps saying that, but it wasn't long enough. And I remember thinking to myself, do you not understand how the human body works? Your mom lived to be 94 years old. You, you had bonus time for a long time there. That's what I wanted to say, and I wanted to say, you need to quit being an idiot. But I was trying to be pastoral. We're at the funeral home, and she was grieving, right? So you, you got to give her that. But it, here's, here's what I thought about last Sunday when I was at the, at the funeral. Two people, the exact same situation. Some that can view that situation and be thankful. Some that looked at that situation and were anything but thankful. And I think what happens to us sometimes is when we take our focus off of the reason for our thankfulness, which should be the saving work of Jesus in our lives, and we begin to put it on our circumstances, that's when things get out of whack. Because here's the thing. The thing you're thankful for today, you might be unthankful for next week. Let me give you an example. Some of you, especially this is kind of more ladies than men, it's like you get to a point where you're just dying to be married. Man, if I could just get a husband. I've been praying for the right man. And then you get him. Oh, I'm so thankful. He's so wonderful. And he buys me flowers. And he massages my feet. And he's just the greatest thing ever. And then you get about 10 years into marriage. And you're like, he still doesn't pick up his drawers off the bathroom floor. And he leaves the lid up. What is the matter with this fool that I married? And all of a sudden, the thing you were so thankful for now is a, is a cause of ungratefulness in your life. Or, or how about kids? And they're, they're, we, die, we are just dying to have kids. And, and I've, I've, we've been in the situation where it was hard to get, to, to, to get pregnant for a while. And some of you have been through that. And then finally, when the baby comes, it's like, oh, my goodness, is this the most wonderful thing ever? And they put that little thing in your hands, and you're holding her, or you're holding him, and you're thinking, I'm so thankful for this. And then they turn 13, and you're like, who is this mutant beast that's living in my child's bed? What is going on here? And so the thing that you are so thankful for now all of a sudden is a cause of ungratefulness in your life. And so that's why, listen, it's okay to be thankful for good things in your life, but, but our thankfulness cannot be dependent on that. Our thankfulness has to flow out of what? It has to flow out of the saving work of Jesus in our lives. The fact that because of Jesus, we were disease-ridden and now we're cleansed and we were outcasts and now we're family members. That's what happened to those 10 guys, and only one of them latched a hold of it and saw it. So verse 19, to finish the story, it says this. The one guy that returned, and he, meaning Jesus, told him, get up, go on your way, your faith has saved you. Now here's what I believe that the other nine guys were still cleansed of leprosy. Jesus didn't strike them back down where it's like, hey, those nine guys that didn't come back, guess what? They got leprosy again. I'll show them. That's not the way Jesus operates. But So, so they were still cleansed. But only one guy got the experience of coming back and seeing Jesus face to face. Because remember, before they were separated, they had to holler at him from a distance. But one guy got to come back, bow down at his feet. And it says, and declare with a loud voice. 
The guy was so excited, he could not keep it to himself. He didn't want to whisper about what Jesus had done for him. He was shouting out, I was once disease-ridden, now I'm cleansed. I was once an outcast, and now I'm a family member. And he wanted everybody to know about it. Only one guy got that experience. So I think about us as we move forward. What do we do with a story like this? Well, the first question I would have for you is, have you experienced that miracle work from Jesus in your life? Was there a time when your sin had you separated and because of what Jesus did on the cross and you taking steps of faith to believe in that, that now you are no longer disease-ridden but you're cleansed and you're no longer an outcast but you're a family member. If that has not happened for you or you have questions about that, I want you to come and talk to me or I want you to come and talk to any of our other greeters that you'll see them with their name tags before you leave this place today. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you at one time were disease-ridden and now you're cleansed. You at one time were an outcast and now you're a family member. How does this change the way you live tomorrow? Now remember, I told you, I can't wake up tomorrow and just decide I'm going to be thankful. But what I can do is I can ask Jesus, I can beg him to continue to make the sacrifice of the cross and the power of the resurrection real in my life, to continue to remind me of it. I can open up God's word and try to be reminded of those things, and I'm still going to struggle. I'm going to struggle with thankfulness probably this week, especially since I've preached a message on it. I'm sure I'm going to get an opportunity to struggle with it this week. But here's the thing that I know, is that even when I struggle, the work that was done in the past on the cross is still being done in my life today. And it's still being done in your life today. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go home before it gets dark. But here's what I want for you. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be encouraged that you are no longer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're no longer living outside the city. You're no longer an outcast. You're no longer separated from the family of God. But you're a full-fledged member because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this story. I pray, Father, that all of us would be like the one Samaritan that returned to give thanks that we would be reminded over and over again of the saving work that you've done in our life and that that's what we have to be thankful for. You are truly an amazing and merciful God, and we honor you today for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.